Hello, and welcome to Emmaus Footnotes. This is a production of Emmaus Church Community, located in Lincoln, California. And as always, for more information, you can find us at EmmausCommunity.org. We continue our series today on Restoration Stories, where we are having, hearing from people within our community on areas that God has worked in their lives. And today, we have Dr. Tony Carlisle joining us. He's a beloved member of our community and a very faithful drummer who always stays on tempo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, thanks for being here today. Um, and I say that with personal knowledge and experience. Um, so thanks for joining me today and sharing about your life. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I've, uh, I'm married. My wife, Julie, is a children's pastor. Uh, we have four children. Uh, one of which is in heaven waiting for us. We have nine grandchildren, all nine of which live less than a half a mile from our house. I've been a faithful believer in Jesus for about 40 years. Wow. I've been a drummer for about 55 years. Uh, and uh, I love playing with my grandkids, having adventures and and and. And the like with my wife, we walked across Europe 10 different times. We've walked about 3,000 miles in Europe together mm. on old um, Christian and Catholic pilgrimage trails. I love riding my Harley. And I'm a, I'm a hospitalist. I'm a physician that takes care of patients in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I've been a physician for about 40 years. Wow. Awesome. So... I think one of the things that comes to mind um, when we think about doctors these days is COVID mm-hmm. and how it's upset, you know, everybody's life, obviously. But I think there's a definite um, perspective that is interesting for people mm-hmm. who work in hospitals. And I know over the last year and a half, I'm always asking you, so what's it like? You know, mm-hmm. who, who, what's going on in there? Mm-hmm. Like, tell us, you know. Mm-hmm. So can you... Give us a little peek into what the last year and a half has been like for you as a physician. Yeah, I've I've been a hospitalist for about 25 years, so I, I really just take care of patients in the hospital, and many of them are very sick. Mm-hmm. And I've also had this sort of reputation as a kind of an old school physician, because when I trained, it was before MRI scans and before lots of the technological things that we have now. And as my career has progressed, I've seen medicine... Um, sort of change so that it's very technologically based and there's less and less patient interaction. Sometimes in the emergency department, before you even walk into a patient's room, you have a diagnosis based on an x-ray or a lab test. And so your your vision is tunneled. You walk in with a preconceived notion of what's wrong with the patient. And therefore, there's less patient-physician interaction. And then COVID kind of put a nail in that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like now... You have an excuse to not go in there at all. You have the the hospital's blessing to wheel an iPad into a room and do a video visit on a patient who you're going to put in the hospital. And I've always sort of resisted that. And and I remember the day that we were told that we could do that. And, and I really had to put my faith where my mouth was because we had a sermon here at Emmaus about that time from Nate about the different plagues, like the Cyprian mm-hmm. plague of the 300s and, mm-hmm. and and how those plagues were sort of sing- singularly responsible for the explosion of Christian faith because Christians were the only ones that dared 
take care of these patients. And, um, and frankly, the people that the Christians ministered to didn't die as often. So they had a less mortality rate. And, and to be real honest, it wasn't anything magic that they did. It was just maybe holding hands and giving some water and dressing wounds. And so I sort of took that as my calling Mm -hmm. when COVID started. This, this is going to be my, my chance to share my faith with these patients. Somebody needs to stand next to these patients. Somebody needs to go in there and touch them and try to reassure them their family's not there. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was funny because, you know, we would, we would see a COVID patient on the queue and we'd have to draw straws. Whose turn is it to see this COVID patient? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and we'd try to make it so that no one saw more than one COVID patient per shift. Really? So were, was there a lot of fear in the air at work? Or, I mean, I would think doctors would just sort of be like, whatever, this is, no, you know, no, that not fear. Lots, just, of, fe- no, oh, lots, lots of fear. Oh, lots of fear. Okay. It was interesting because everybody had their own, you know, we all had our personal protective equipment that we needed to wear mm-hmm. and we wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. It'd be wrong not to wear it. Sure. But there were these various uh, levels of how far doctors would take that. I mean, you would see doctors with two or three masks on mm. and goggles plus a shield. Okay. And and three pairs of gloves. And mm-hmm. and uh, so there was a lot of fear and people didn't want to see them. And and a lot of people, you know, not to, not to discredit them, but really had no desire to go in and touch them. Mm. And since there was no treatment and there is no specific treatment or cure for it, really kind of all we had was supportive stuff. And, and hmm. that, at least for me, was the idea of trying to reassure them and call their family and, and uh, uh, touch them and tell them that you're going to do your best to make them better. Sure. Even though you know in your heart that you don't have any magic medicine or something to make that happen. So mm-hmm. that sort of became my calling hmm. in the hospital. That's interesting to me because I feel like as a doctor and a nurse, like, Aren't you exposed pretty often to things that are dangerous? <laughs> I mean, and how, and th- but this was so wildly different and scary because of what we don't know about it. And so that's what fed into all the fear in, in the hospital. Yeah. You know, when I was, an in- when I was an intern, it was 1985 and that was right when AIDS yeah. started. And believe it or not, I stuck myself with a patient with AIDS with a needle from that patient and I was scared to death. Mm. I did okay and and I'm fine, but yeah. at that time we didn't know what caused AIDS either. Uh, so yeah, we get exposed and once again, you have to be smart. But on the other hand, you're called, at least I'm called to a higher duty. That's right. this, the fact that I'm a physician is, is all a gift from God mm-hmm. and, you know, growing up super poor and, 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 um, Getting into medical school and becoming a physician and working where I work and doing what I do is all a gift. Mm-hmm. And I've never considered it anything less than that. So it's my responsibility to, to give back. Right, right. So talk a little bit more about um, sort of the practical ways that you did that in COVID that sort of was maybe, I, w- I don't want to say, mm-hmm. like outside the norm. Yeah. I'll know? give you a couple of specific examples. One, you know, the the rules were, you know, no family members in the hospital, which I vehemently agree disagreed with because it's just very clear that family members are the most important part of healing mm. and dying 
that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, when a person's dying, that person, the patients, their their die is cast mm-hmm. pretty much. And but there's so much healing that goes on around a deathbed mm. that we just absolutely stole away from everybody. Mm. Now you're dying alone, which mm-hmm. is a horrendous thing. Mm-hmm. So we had a particular patient who came in, an older gentleman with COVID, whose wife was dying in the hospital of COVID, the same hospital. And even though this was sort of against the, quote, rules, we wheeled this guy to his wife's room mm. so he could say goodbye to his wife on the way to his room mm-hmm. where he died a mm-hmm. few days later. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things that, and, and I didn't have a lot to do with that, but but those are the kind of things that we needed to do as physicians that were that were different than what we normally mm-hmm. do, where we just push medicines. And mm-hmm. I also had another patient, an elderly Romanian guy who was going to be admitted and ultimately died of COVID, whose wife had died about a week earlier of COVID. And here's this Romanian family that came in the early 90s to escape the communist regime and and uh, had had really, you know, fought lots of battles and really worked hard to get what they wanted. And now this was going to do them in. Mm. And they were going to do this alone. Mm. And so I, I called this patient's daughter and I looked at the name and I recognized the name. Mm. And it was, a, it was someone I had worked with at Kaiser four or five years earlier, and I called her and I said, this is Dr. Carlisle. Mm -hmm. And she just absolutely fell apart. Oh, sure. Because finally, a a friendly voice, a a familiar voice, somebody that she knew was a believer. Right. That was, quote, taking care of her father, even though there wasn't much to do other than just support him. So that just became... My moniker. It was like, mm-hmm. if it's a COVID patient, give it to me. I'll do yeah. my PPE and I'll be smart, and but I'm not going to neglect or rob those patients of a of whatever hope I can give them. Right, and that humanity, like almost yeah. that basic human touch or human yeah. interaction. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, how has that? this whole time like really impacted your, you know, your life as a follower of Jesus in that realm? You know, I've, I've, I've worked at different places over the years and, and I've always, and I had a bit, a little, little bit of guilt from it. I think of, I've always sort of had struggle with what I think of sharing my faith at work because I worked around so many people of different faiths and nationalities and, and I worked for a company that wasn't necessarily a Christian company. So mm-hmm. I sort of would talk myself into, well, I probably shouldn't do that, you know, or, and, but I always had this little guilt mm-hmm. about it. This is, as just solidified my calling is this is as a Christian physician, the most important thing I can do, and I still do, even though COVID is waning a bit, is be there for the patient. Mm-hmm. Listen to the patient. And there's an old saying that if you if you listen to a patient, they'll tell you what's wrong with them, mm-hmm. but you've got to listen. Mm-hmm. And people don't listen mm-hmm. these days because, like I said earlier, when you walk in, you've already got a diagnosis, and therefore, why waste your time listening to patients? So that's my calling, and and it's and it's expanded to every all patients now, not just COVID patients, mm-hmm. but, 
everybody, every patient has a burden, a story to tell, something that's bothering them uh, besides their illness. And we just need to take the time to sort of dive into it and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. give them whatever chance we can give them of reconciliation or resolution or or those kind of things. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I think that's so encouraging. So many of us work outside Christian contexts. And so finding those ways to um, be light and love and view our work as a calling you know like you Mm -hmm. hold it closely you you see it as a gift and Mm -hmm. it's a gift to you but you're also gifted in it Mm -hmm. um is so encouraging and i think that there's a lot of people who listen to this who have sort of another way even if they're not in the medical profession that they can apply that same Mm -hmm. idea of listening even mm-hmm. you know listening to the people you're serving whether you want to serve them or not and understanding um a little bit more about the backstory or a mm-hmm. little bit more about what's going on in the moment mm-hmm. um, it's such a powerful thing i even think of a lot of church ministry applies to that too like there's a lot of huge churches and your pastor you might not even they might not even know your name mm-hmm. and how um as long as there's somebody in the community who does know your name mm-hmm. and who listens to your story. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, it's so important, but that life on life, mm-hmm. listening, hearing, offering something in return, um, that's how Jesus did it too. You know, there's, you know, there are a lot of Christian physicians out there, and it's nice to be known as a Christian physician, and it's easy to relay that to people by saying, you know, yeah, I play drums in church or um, I can't work. Sun- I don't want to work Sunday mornings if I have a choice, that kind of thing. And that's mm-hmm. all great stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, it's how you act and mm-hmm. it's who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not because it's mandated. It's not because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. It's because it's who you are. Yeah. And, and that, to be honest, is when you're talking about restoration, that's a big part of my restoration is because up until not too many years ago, that's kind of the way I acted. Hmm. Well, this I don't do this because I'm not supposed to do that. I don't watch that show because I'm not supposed to watch that show. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I changed with God's grace and became the person I think I am today because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't do that because th- I that's not in my... That's just not who I am, mm-hmm. not because there's a rule. So even at work, it's like, well, you know, the way I act around patients is not because I'm supposed to. It's because it's who I am, yeah. and it's whose I am. I belong yeah. to Jesus, and that's yeah. that's the ultimate, you know, reason for doing that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to finish off today. Thank you so much for taking time today. It's my pleasure, Melissa. Thank you.